book of Acts is an amazing account of the early church. And today our teacher, Pastor David Robinson from Acts Church, will give us a recap of the book and then look at some important truth from chapter 4, verse 23. So please get out your Bible. And here's Pastor David. Acts is a book. It was written by a guy named Luke. We've talked about this before. Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. Um, so he was a guy who traveled around with the Apostle Paul, who was you know, kind of like getting beat up and stoned and beaten and thrown in prison a lot. So he kind of needed a physician. Worked out really well for Luke. He had a lot of work to do with, with Paul. And he was an educated man, a very seriously educated man. The Greek that, that Acts and the book of Luke, which is one of the Gospels about the life of Christ, uh, was written in the kind of Greek is very, very high level. We know just from the vocabulary that he used and his style of writing that he was highly educated. He was also very detail-oriented. We've said a lot of times, Acts is about facts. Acts is about facts. It is a very, very, very detailed account. A lot of times they'll be in here and they'll be naming all these different names and we're kind of like, why are you naming all these different people that were there in the room? Because he wants to be incredibly accurate. And in some of those cases, probably those are the people that were able to give him the story, witness to him the story so that he could write it down, right? And so he is very, very detail-oriented. For those who say, look, scripture is a lot of fairy tales, you know, it's a bunch of nonsense. Well, they obviously haven't read Acts because Acts is very, very clearly historically accurate, historically sound. In fact, Luke is considered one of the premier historians from this time period. Um, so much so that there was a, a historian who was an atheist, didn't believe in God, actually wanted to take the works that Luke had done in the Gospel of Luke and Acts and disprove Christianity by going, because he was so detailed, this guy figured he could go, do archaeological digs, look for the evidence, and disprove what was in, the, in Scripture. Because of the fact there's so much of it here, all he's got to do is disprove some of it. Well, this guy goes, a very famous historian, goes and starts to look into it and ends up becoming a Christian because Luke was so accurate. All the things that he said were, were so accurate as they went through the archaeology. So this is history. So that's where we start from. And Luke, at the beginning of this book, the first thing he mentions kind of in his introduction, he's talking about Jesus and he talks about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that he rose, and that we know that through many infallible proofs. And there were all these witnesses and so on. He says that, and the reason he brings that up is because it's kind of the cornerstone or the central fact of Christianity is that Jesus died and rose again. So he mentions that, and then we see Jesus with his disciples. Um, the, you know, he had 12 disciples. One of them betrayed him and died. Um, the other 11 were there at the time, plus there were a number of other followers that had followed Jesus during his ministry uh, for three years while he was going around ministering. There, these people were there. And so Jesus is with his disciples, and he's telling them, listen, you, you're going you're gonna to chill. You're going to wait here. I don't think chill was in the original Greek, but you're going to wait here in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit is going to empower you. And when the Holy Spirit empowers you, you're going to be able to do some stuff. And so they then say, well, but wait, is this the time now, finally, that you're finally going to go zap all these Romans and get rid of them and let Israel come back into its kingdom. See, that's what they, the disciples, even after all this, even after the death and the resurrection of Christ, even after he told them time and time and time again that he had come to save their souls, not their physical, political 
issue that they were dealing with, with the Romans, even though he said all this, they're still in this mindset, he's the Messiah, he's going to come and take over the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, I'm not doing that right now. The Holy Spirit's going to come. I want you to stay here. And what you're going to do is you're going to go from right here in Jerusalem. These guys weren't from Jerusalem. They were from Galilee, which was north quite a ways. But he says, right here in Jerusalem, you're going to start witnessing to me, teaching people about what you've seen, right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be doing these great works. You're going to talk about the resurrection that you've seen me alive after I was dead. You're going to teach people to obey me. That's what you're going to do. And what's going to happen is Christianity is going to start here in Jerusalem, and it's going to go to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So kind of in concentric circles from Jerusalem, we're going to take out, and Christianity is going to start to grow. And as we go through the book of Acts, we'll see that's exactly what happens. And in fact, basically the entire Roman world was evangelized within a relatively short period of time, starting in Jerusalem. Then Jesus ascends to heaven. These guys wait in Jerusalem. And some days later, not very long later, the day of Pentecost comes. The day of Pentecost comes. And the day of Pentecost was a feast. It was a festival that the Jews did every year. And when they would have it at Jerusalem, where the temple was, this was kind of the central place of religious life for Jewish people. They would come from all over the world into Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. So there were all these people from all over the world, and they're in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. On this day, the, the followers of Christ are sitting in a room praying, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and it sounds like rushing wind, and it looks like they have fire like over their heads, okay? And they start speaking in different languages. These guys are from Galilee, kind of uh, out in the country type way, you know, they're not, they're not urbanites from Jerusalem. They're from, they're kind of bumpkins, okay? Uh, think Southern accent, right? Something like that. They're, they're out in the country. They're country folks. And they're here now speaking fluently in all these different languages from all over the world. And people are going, whoa, these guys should not know these languages. This is a miracle of God. And while some people mocked, in fact, Peter goes and gives a sermon, talks about the, the, that Jesus died, that he rose again, and 3,000 people become followers of Christ on that day, on the day of Pentecost. So there's 3,000 people, they're now following Christ, move from there to see the early church and the way that they operated. So we get kind of this little thing that Luke tells us about the way the early church was operating. We talked about this, and there's kind of these four pillars these four things that the church is doing, that the church still does, that are important, right? And it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. So this is the, the teaching of those who had been discipled by Jesus, that had gone, that had walked with him for the three years of his ministry, and knew the word, these people's teaching, this was one of the main things that the early church was committed to, which we are still committed to the apostles' teaching. We have it right here. So we're still committed to the apostles' teaching in the church. It says to fellowship. This is them being together with one another, spending time in each other's lives. It says to the breaking of bread. So that's both fellowship and eating together. It's also referencing probably communion, which is where we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We remember his death for our sins and communion. We'll do that later today. We'll take communion in, in a time of remembering. We still do that. We still do that. And then in prayer. So both corporately, like they were praying together in that room at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and individually in their own relationships with Jesus, they're praying. So these four things kind of make up the church. Then from there, we go into the story that we've been in now for several weeks, 
And in this story, you got Peter and John. These guys had been fishermen. Jesus had come and made them disciples. They followed Jesus. They walked with him for three years. They were, they were a couple of the disciples that were part of Jesus' real inner circle, even within the disciples. These guys are going to the temple. Um, they're going to the temple for basically, they do two sacrifices a day in the temple, and they're going for that second sacrifice in the afternoon. They go into the temple, and as they're going in, there's a big, huge gate called the Beautiful Gate, and sitting at that gate, there's a man who is unable to walk. Okay? He's lame. He can't walk. He's never been able to walk since he was born. He was born without the ability to use his legs. People would bring him up there, they'd carry him there, and they'd sit him next to the gate, and he would sit there and he'd beg for money because he couldn't work. So he begged for money, and people would give him money as they were going into the temple, kind of maybe sort of their religious duty, the charity. And they came up, and, and Peter says, look, I don't have any money. I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have, I'm going to give you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Then Peter walks over, takes the guy's hand, and he gets up. This guy's healed, completely healed. He starts, you know, running and leaping and what you would do if you'd never been able to walk and all of a sudden your legs worked, right? He starts leaping and praising God. And all these people who come, because lots of people come to the temple for this service, these people basically rush over to Peter and John because they knew who this guy was, who had always been lame, who always sat out at that gate. They knew that he was unable to walk, and they saw him walking. They wanted to know what was going on. So they all rush over to Peter and John, and Peter and John are there, and Peter gives this sermon, and he explains, hey, listen, you guys asked for the death of Christ. You wanted him to be crucified. He was crucified. He died, but he rose again. And if you will turn, repent from your ways, from your materialistic ways, from caring about your own pleasures and your own power and all these types of things and turn to the spiritual way, to knowing Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven of your sins and you can have what he talks about, times of refreshing. You can be made new, basically. And he gives this sermon, and after the sermon's given, the church, remember it was 120 people, then 3,000 were added, and after this sermon, now the church is 5,000 people from this sermon. That's how much it grew, which is great. The unfortunate thing is that the rulers of the Jewish people did not like Jesus. They didn't like him at all. Um, I'm thinking, I mean, I'm just using deduction. I'm thinking it had something to do with the fact that they had killed him. Um, I don't know. I'm just guessing that, but they didn't like him, right? Because here's the thing. These guys were the powerful guys. These guys were the guys who walked around town and everybody said, hey, there's so-and-so. He's one of the you know, chief priests or he's one of the rulers. He's one of the scribes. He's a Pharisee. He's a Sadducee. He's one of these guys. They loved that. They loved to walk around and have the honor that was given to them. And Jesus was constantly calling these guys to account and saying, it's not about you. It's not about your power. It's not about how much better than everybody else you are. That's not what it's about. It's about God. It's about him. It's not about you. And they didn't like that. They wanted it to be about them. They were materialistic. They, they were all about them and what they had and their pleasures and their power. And Jesus was constantly pushing against that and threatening their power. So they had him killed. Now these guys are here. This guy's been healed. And Peter and John are sitting here talking about, nope, he's not dead. You tried to kill him, but he rose again. And he, in fact, is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that the Jews had been looking for to save the world. And in fact, even though you killed him, he's alive. And now he's the only way to heaven. You cannot get to God without Jesus Christ. There is no other way, is what Peter says. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So, he, so Peter says this to these guys, okay? So what happens is what you do 
whenever you get in an argument with somebody and you don't like what they have to say, like these guys didn't like what Peter and John had to say, you put them in jail. That's what they did. So they put them in jail, and they spent the night in jail, and then Peter and John go before the great Sanhedrin. This is, the, this is all the very top rulers, the most educated, the wealthiest, the smartest, the most honored people among the Jews, 71 people, and they call Peter and John before them, and Peter says these things to them about Jesus being the only way to heaven, about the fact that they had asked for his death, about the fact that he rose again. And these people disagreed with Peter and John, but they could say nothing. They could not argue with them. And the reason they couldn't argue with them is because standing there with Peter and John was this man who had been lame who was now walking. And they knew, all of them knew, these guys went to the temple probably every single day. They spent a lot of time at the temple. That's where the Sanhedrin would have met. At least at some points they met in the temple, sometimes in other places. But they went to the temple all the time. This is part of their religious duty. And so here they are, and they want to say something against Jesus, but they can't say anything because in front of all these people, this man had been healed. So they couldn't say anything. So eventually, they threaten them, and they say, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Don't talk about this Jesus guy anymore. Get out of here. So they let him go. That's where we stopped last time, okay? So that's where we are. That's a story. Now this time, we're going to get into the next section. And as I had been uh, working on this sermon... I thought I would get through about eight verses today. We're going to get through one. Um, you know, that's the thing, because that's the way it works sometimes. But I think this one is important. I think what it has to say to us is important. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to get verse 423. All right, here we go. Verse Acts 423. If you have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen. If not, it says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And now you're thinking, how is he going to do a message on that verse? Here's the thing, okay? I'm a lawyer. You give me three words, and I'll give you a thousand, okay? That's the way it works. We used to get paid by the word, so that's the way it works. I've got, I've got a lot of words on this, but you'll see where we're going with this. You'll, you'll see. So being let go, okay? So the being let go thing is a big deal. Let's, let's remember what I just said. These were the 71 most powerful people. The last guy that had stood before them in this way had been nailed to a cross and killed. That was Jesus. So when they were standing before these guys, saying the same things that Jesus had been saying about the truth, testifying to the truth, testifying to it boldly, their expectation should have been, I'm going to be killed. These guys are going to put me in jail or these guys are going to kill me. That's what they're going to do. They don't like it when people say things to them, but they weren't. They were let go. So it's a really big deal. So these big things that happened, and where do they go? What does it say? It says they went to their companions. Who was that? It was the church. When Peter and John are let go, they immediately go to the church. Now here's the thing. Some very amazing, great things had happened, and some very terrifying, difficult things had happened in the last day or so with these guys. The amazing, great things were, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this man was healed, who had been lame. That was an amazing, great thing. And Peter gets an opportunity to have a huge crowd because of this healing come around and he gets to preach Jesus and the church grows to 5,000 people. That's exciting stuff. If, if we had had a service and we all of a sudden gained you know, a couple thousand people or so, give or take, we'd be pretty excited about that. So it was a really big deal. But immediately after that, they also went to jail. And then they were called before the Sanhedrin. So great things and difficult things. And their first thought as they get out, as soon as they're let go, they go to the church. They go to the church. So um, let's think about this for a second. I want you to think throughout this 
message as I'm talking, when great things happen, when difficult things happen, where do you go? Where do you go? Who do you need to tell? Who, who do you go to? You go, you go to the bar, tell your friends there. You go to mommy's house. You go, I don't know, take a nap. You go find your, uh, your buddies. You go to the, some club. You go wherever. Who do you tell? Who do you tell? Facebook? Who do you tell when great things happen or when difficult things happen? Think about that as we go. Peter and John, they went to the church. They went to the church. That was, that's who their companions were. And we're in a lot of groups. All of us are part of a lot of groups. We have a lot of, a lot of associations. A lot of people that we associate with or hang out with. Our family, right? That's a pretty easy one. The people at work, sports team, um, whatever happens to you. Maybe you're on a board of some kind or, or whatever it is. But you have these different associations. Your friends, old friends, new friends, whoever it is that you hang out with. You have these associations. And in each group, there's some uniting factor. Something that is, that is the thing that brings you together. Something that's common to everyone in the group. In the case of family, it's blood, right? Genetics. You're connected to these people whether you like it or not because you have the same parents or grandparents or whatever it happens to be. That's your family connection, right? At work, you're connected to people because you're part of the same company. You work for the same company. In fact, the word company means group of people, right? And so you work for, for the same company as the guy who sits next to you or works next to you, kind of whether you like that person or not. Uh, you have a little bit more choice because you can quit a job. It's harder to quit a family. Um, but I've seen that happen too as a lawyer. Um, that, that's, that's rougher. But you, you are connected to these people at work because you work together. Then you have the other or the more common associations, the more common associations, and those are based on either common interests or experiences. So the friends that were on your street that you grew up with, you may or may not have had a lot of common interests, but you had a lot of common experiences. So they may be lifelong friends because you went through all these times in your childhood together with them, right? Or the people you went to high school or college with, you're sort of together with them, you have common experiences. And then there's a lot of groups where you just have common interests, like I said, maybe you're in a fantasy football league, or maybe you play a sport, or maybe you're in a knitting club or a scrapbooking club or some other thing like that, right? You're, you're in that because all of you like the same thing, okay? Here's the thing about the church. Here's what unites the church. All of those things. If you think through it, the church is united by each one of those different kinds of things. We're a family in the sense that when we decide to follow Christ, we all end up having the same father. God is our father. He's my father. And if you're a believer in Christ, he's your father, right? He's our father. So we're a family. Scripture talks about God as a father on purpose. There's an intention. It's intentional that we're thought of as connected in that way as a family. Maybe not by the blood that runs through our veins, but by the blood of Christ on all of us, we're connected as a family. It's also like work because each one of us, we're working for the kingdom of God. As believers, we're working for the kingdom of God. We're working to see the kingdom of God push forward. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see people helped and ministered to. We want to help other people. We want to help each other. We're working together. We're pushing in the same direction, just like you do with the people at your job. And then as far as common interests and experiences, well, man, we've got a lot of that. A lot of that. Our common interest as believers is wanting to know Jesus, wanting to grow in knowing him and growing in him and becoming new and becoming different 
and maturing and holding each other accountable, right? These are the common interests that we have as believers. This is what ties us together. Rather than, um, you know, people who like the same show and get online and, and write fan fiction and comment on each other's posts and whatever because they're into whatever the show happens to be, we're into the Word of God. So that's our interest. That's what we talk about, right? I think ours is a lot less nerdy. That's just my opinion, but, you know, that's, you know, that is what it is, but... That's our thing. We're interested in the same things. We're studying the same things. We're thinking about the same things. And that's what ties us together. Now, if you think about the church itself, and when I say the church, I'm talking the church. 2,000 years of Christian history from the time that we're reading about here in Scripture till today all over the world. If you think about that group of people, think about how diverse it is. You know, you, there's a lot of different groups and a lot of different people who, who associate together, but I'm not sure there's one more diverse than Christians. You have every single nation, every single color, every single language, every single background, every single social class, right? We've got every single kind of person is in, within the Christian church. And no matter where you go, no matter how far away it is, if you meet another person who's a believer in Christ, you're like family, just like that. You're fully connected to them because you are connected in all those ways. You're working towards the same goal. You have the same father, right? And you have the same interests with all these people for all time. So it's a very interesting place. And then we have the local church. The local church is this group of people who are sitting next to you. And when they're talking about Peter and John going to their companions, that's who they're talking about. They went back to their local body of believers. That's all there was at the time. The church had just started. But they went back to their local body of believers, those people who were worshiping together with them, growing together with them. That's who they went back to. It's not as diverse, because if we all spoke different languages and stuff, it would be hard to understand each other. But it's, it's diverse in many ways. The people in this room... Everybody's got a different story. Everybody's got a different background. Everybody's got a, a different thing that called them to be sitting in these seats today. God has called each of you here in a different way. And, and he wants to grow you each in a different way. And he thinks about you each individually. So there is a lot of diversity, but it's a different kind of group. This local church. These are your companions. These are the, your partners in life. This is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. We're working together. So where do you turn in your life? We'll learn more in the next episode. But if you're realizing that there's a lot more than you're experiencing right now, come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. Meet Pastor David and enjoy the family of folks here that love Jesus and each other. Get easy directions anytime at axechurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.